Amen, amen. You guys can go have a seat. Let's appreciate our musicians and their leading of us. You know, uh, it is important. The people of God have always had a, sound uh, a soundtrack. They've always had songs that express what they believe about God and who he is. And, um, and these guys do a great job leading us every week with the tech and the lights and all that kind of stuff. I've got a million things to say, so I'm going to talk really fast today. So get ready, all right? Uh, really three sermons into one, which is pretty good for the price of admission here today, all right? But we're welcoming you. If you're Eastview friends or family, glad that you're here. If you're watching us online, we're so glad to have you. Rodney in Bloomington, Rodeth from Buckeye, Arizona, uh, Jan from Lakeview. I don't know what 8K stands for. Is that Alaska or Arkansas? Arkansas. You guys are smarter than me. Anyway, uh, Lorraine and Ken from Bloomington and uh, from England. It's just, I know who that is. That's Chooch. God bless you, Chooch. It's good to see you. She traveled with us to the Holy Land. Listen, also happy Memorial Day. Uh, we just want to take a, a minute to recognize that people have given their lives so we could be here. We, we talk about Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate that. And it's the ultimate gift. And so we just want to remember that today. And Jason will mention that a little bit. Also, uh, those of you who had graduates this week, if you gra graduated from high school or parents that graduated had graduates, right? Uh, now it really gets expensive. God bless you guys, all right? But anyway, with that, let's start this series. We, we really want to, um, we want to get to this place. When I was in third grade, I had a teacher that I distinctly remember saying, uh, there are no dumb questions. And I took that to heart. And uh, so I've been talking ever since and asking questions. But that's where we're going the next several weeks as we look at this series called Skeptical. Not only did Jesus ask questions, which we've looked at over the last several weeks, Jesus asked questions to help us grow in our following him, but he also had a lot of questions asked. And these questions usually came from skeptical, unbelieving, not really sure people who just tried to get to the root of who he was. And uh, I just want to encourage you today, Jesus is not afraid of skepticism. He's not afraid of questions because he understands himself to be the answer, the truth in every question that's asked, right? And so we at the church, we're not going to be afraid to answer questions. In fact, I would say that skepticism and questions are the beginning to a deep faith. And so we're going to do our best to give answers to some of the, 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 you know, this culture's biggest questions about Jesus and Christianity in the coming weeks and months. We're going to do it in a couple ways. Let me just give you a quick advertisement. Uh, soon you're going to be uh, told where to go to get a hold of the Apologia podcast, and we're going to address some of these questions that you guys are sending in. By the way, there should be a number right there uh, that you can text in, and you can, uh, and you can ask any question anonymously, all right? You can ask it anonymously, and uh, we want to answer that. We might do it through Mike Talks and our daily devotions, so if you haven't subscribed to that. Um, and we're also ready to schedule care appointments today. And a care appointment is something that our, our community care pastor, Sarah Thompson, has put together so that pastors can actually sit down with you if you have some serious questions that we can't answer really quickly or whatever, and you want to talk with one of our pastors, you can do that. You can go online or you can call um, the receptionist desk, and we, we would love to sit down and talk with you. And of course, we're going to have weekly sermons over this next four or five Sundays where we're going to talk about and we're going to answer some of the big questions that come straight out of the Bible. So today we're starting with this question, is there a difference between Christianity and other world religions? And if there is a difference, what are the differences and, and what can we learn? And today we're going to begin with Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 7, because I just couldn't trim it down to one text. And there are three questions. We're going to look at three questions from skeptical people about Jesus 
because they expected him to come and start a world religion or something. And Jesus was here for something totally different. So here's the good question today. Isn't Christianity just another religion? And uh, we're going to get there in Mark chapter 2. So let's start Mark chapter 2, verse 16. Hope you have your Bibles open. I hope if you're at home watching online or whatever, you've got your scriptures. I want you to make sure I'm not making this stuff up. These are the words of Jesus, and this is the living word, all right? So here we go. Uh, Chapter 2 of Mark, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came to him and said, why do John's disciples fast and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken from them, and then they will fast. And he talks about a cloth being sewn into an old garment and old wine or new wine being put into old wine skins. And then in verse 23, we pick up another question. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Lord, the Son of Man, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Then a couple pages over, probably in most of your Bibles, or scroll down a little bit to Mark chapter 7. Read the first eight verses there. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came to the marketplace, come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold the tradition of men. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today. God, would you come now? I I can't do what I'm going to ask you to do, and that is to change hearts and minds and lives and souls and even eternities, God, as I lift up your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I know lots of our friends, lots of our family, we have questions. We, we don't understand fully sometimes what it means to follow Jesus. And so would you help me now just through the words of Christ himself and through the, the written word, the Bible, as I lift him up, would you just come and sweep through our hearts and give us courage in knowing that Christianity is a different thing. And if there's someone here who's outside of following Jesus, uh, I'm, my, my prayer, Lord, is that you just draw them in to this really new radical idea that just Jesus says, follow me. And so, Lord, um, go with us in these moments together and bless them. In your son's name we pray, amen. So here's the questions. Why don't you fast? Why don't you keep the Sabbath? Why don't you wash your hands? And it really leads to this bigger question. The bigger question is, is Christianity just another religion? See, those are all religious questions. They're all going through the motion questions. So here's the sermon. Is Christianity just another religion? No. 
Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. That's way too short for a sermon. So I'm going to spend some time going through each of these or these uh, questions and asking them from Jesus so he can give us an answer. I have often struck up a conversation with someone sitting at a bar. Yes, I like to sit at bars because people don't expect pastors to be there, okay? And, uh, and they eventually find out that I'm a pastor, and then they eventually say, hey, sorry for my language, pardon my French, and I'm going, I don't think that's French. I didn't take French, but I think you've been speaking another language. But anyway, eventually they start talking about their faith. And I usually get a lot of great faith conversations, but sometimes they'll say something like, uh, I'm afraid I'm not very religious. And I shock them even more by going, neither am I. I I'm not part of a religion. I'm part of a faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, by definition, definition of religion is a set of attitudes, beliefs, and practices that we follow. So by definition, I kind of am religious, but there's so much more to Christianity than following rules and following a religion. Now, if that's confusing to you, stay tuned, because the Jewish leaders whose religion was the Old Testament faith that Jesus grew up in, they were expecting him to come and set another religion. He was a religious teacher, but Jesus is not very religious. And so let's just begin with these three questions. The first question in Mark chapter 2, verse 18, why aren't you guys fasting? And here's the insight into religion. Religion places discipline over celebration. It's always about discipline. It's always about doing the right thing. The first century Jewish leaders, they taught strict adherence to fasting twice a week. Now, you may know this or you may not know this, but in the Old Testament, you fasted because you had gone far from God and you had to repent and you didn't eat seeking to return to God. That's why you fasted mostly in the Old Testament. It really wasn't commanded that much. But by the time of Jesus in the first century, the Pharisees fasted to show God and others that they were spiritual. They were following a religion. They were doing the hard work. You remember the story, Luke 18, one of the most you know, self-righteous prayers in the whole Bible. Jesus is talking about a Pharisee and, a, and a, 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 a tax collector who's going to prayer at the temple. And the Pharisee stands, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week as if this action was going to get some kind of favor with God. So religion holds that following God is supposed to hurt a little bit. You're supposed to go around saying, I'm hungry. By the way, Jesus talks about this in Matthew. I don't have time to go into it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you fast, don't show that you're fasting so that nobody knows it. Apparently, you marked yourself up. You could tell in public, oh, they're fasting. They look terrible. Praise God. They're religious. They're doing what they're supposed to. So they ask this question, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus says, and I want you to hear this. The implication is, if it doesn't hurt, it's not godly. It's not religious. And Jesus says, you can't fast when the bridegroom's here. Hold on to that. Because we're going to get to that in just a moment as we separate Christianity from the rest of the world religions. You know, world religions demand discipline. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. The second largest religion in the world is the Muslim faith. And they require, them, they require everyone to pray five times a day. If you don't pray five times a day, you're not godly. They want you to fast during Ramadan. If you don't fast during Ramadan, you're not a good Muslim. They want you to give 2% of zakat to the poor. If you don't do that, you're not a good Muslim. You got to make a trip to Mecca sometime in your lifetime. If you don't, 
You're not, in other words, you've got to do something. You, you, you've got to be disciplined to be loved by the Muslim God. That, you know, Hinduism, the fourth largest uh, religion in the world, is kind of the same. You have to do certain things. In fact, their whole system of belief really can be summed up like this. You do good stuff, and good stuff happens to you. You do bad stuff, bad stuff happens. It's called karma. That's not just a word we use. It's a world religion. And sometimes, unfortunately, in maybe your Christian experience, um, you've gotten this, this impression that Christianity is just about a bunch of do's and don'ts. Thou shalt and thou shalt not in the King James language. So you better go to church or God's going to get you. You better read your Bible or bad stuff's going to happen. He's not going to answer prayers. You better pray before every meal or you're going to choke on that food. Don't say bad words. Don't cheat on your taxes and don't cheat on your girl, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have this idea that if we do certain things, then God will love us. If we don't do certain things, God's going to be mad. Now, don't get me wrong. Christianity is not opposed to discipline. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. It's just so much more. Jesus' answer to this strict adherence of religious rules is basically friends of the groom don't fast at a wedding celebration. It's like putting a, a new patch on an old garment. It messes the whole thing up. It's like pouring new wine into old wine skins. It'll burst the skins. That's what he says there in chapter 2, verses 18 through um, 22. Which brings us to the next question. Why, why aren't you fasting? Second question, why are you breaking the Sabbath? This teaches us that religion places rules over people. And anyway, you know the story here, but... The, the question is, why are you breaking the Sabbath? And, and one of the most strictly followed outward religious practices, even to this day, 3,500 years after Moses said, rest on the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, uh, people still do it. They still follow it. And, uh, and uh, it just simply means rest. The word Sabbath, Shabbat, means to cease or to stop or to rest. But by the first century time of Jesus Christ, the rabbis had come up with 39 different categories of work. You see what happens with, with religion? Jesus says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We got 39 different categories, and out of those categories, different rules. And these apostles were breaking one of the rules. And here's the rule. They were walking through a path along some, some fields uh, going to Capernaum. And what they could reach from the path they were grabbing, and they were taking stalks off, and they were rubbing them in their hands, and they were blowing the chaff away, and they were eating grain because they were hungry. Now, what you may not know is that that's a provision in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, God put together a, a constant food pantry in every field for poor people, people that couldn't afford it. He said, y'all leave the stuff on the edges of your field alone so that when poor people are walking along, they can grab the grains, and they can rub them, and they can eat them. That's my provision for poor. So here are the apostles. Apparently, they're hungry. They don't have real jobs. They're just following Jesus, right? And they're caught doing this on the Sabbath day. It's the same story in chapter 3. We don't have a time, to, uh, time to read it, but in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it's a story about Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath day. And they get all ticked. And listen, we go to church. A person comes forward. They've got some disease. They're healed. And you guys go, he should have done that on Monday. That's the reaction of the Pharisees. And here's what happens with religion. One of the things I've noticed is if with religion, rules are more important. Rules are placed over people, even if they're hungry, even if they're sick. 
It's the same story that Jesus hears over and over again. One of the things I've noticed as I've been to places where religion dominates the culture, grace and mercy are absent. We don't care about hungry people. We don't care about people who are hurting. I've seen it in Morocco. I've been there. If you're sick, here's the deal. If you're in the hospital, we really don't care for you that much because you probably did something to deserve this. God's getting you. That's why you're here. Of course, I mentioned in India, if you're born with a deformity, that's karma, man. You just have to deal with it. See, religious rules can desensitize religious people to human need. I want you to hear that. Religious rules often makes us not care about other people. Jesus' response, I want you to see this, his great response, verse 27. You guys have no idea what the Sabbath is about, he says. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man. All the rules of God, everything he's asked us to do are for our good. Wouldn't we all agree? Don't you guys need a nap and some rest right now? It's because we break Sabbath all the time. That's why we're tired. God just didn't say Sabbath because like arbitrary day, make you guys do nothing, not have fun, sit around. No, he goes, this is for you. All of God's laws are for people. Sabbath was commanded for people's good, just like every one of other, uh, uh, other one of God's rules. And so he just says, listen, you guys don't understand why I'm not keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Question number three. The next question is, why aren't you washing your hands? Good mom question. Religion places outward over inward. These guys were meticulous about cleanliness. This is another religious practice for the Jewish people in Jesus' day. Why? Because you want people to see you as very ceremonial. In fact, this passage here that says, without washing their hands, means washing with the fist, which means they probably had this weird ceremony where they clenched up their fist and water was poured over and they ceremonially washed their hands. They want everybody to know, those people are holy. Look how they're washing their hands. Can you relate to that at all? Any of the things that we do in the name of Jesus Christ to impress other people? They were obsessed with not being defiled. But here's the reality. In the Old Testament, there's only a couple of times where God commanded someone to wash their hands, and that was the priest before they did the sacrifices. So again, hand washing was this thing. Of course, Jesus in the Old Testament, or God in the Old Testament, said, listen, I want you to be clean. I want you to be pure. I want you to be unstained from the world. He wasn't talking about hands, though. He was talking about the inside. So here come the apostles bopping along, probably been fishing all morning, stink like fish. They've been to the market. They grab some fish. They break some bread. They pass a dish of fish and some cucumbers, and nobody washed their hands. Unholy super spreaders of Galilee. Right? And it sticks out. Because, no, because everybody washed their hands to show that they were clean. And here's the deal. God does desire a clean life. He does desire clean. He does desire pure. But he desires a pure heart. The hand washing and the cleanliness on the outside is only supposed to reflect what's going on in the inside. That's why he quotes this verse from Isaiah. He says, listen, Isaiah said it just right about you guys. You, you honor me with your lips. You wash your hands. You keep the Sabbath. You do all the stuff you're supposed to do. On the outside, you look great. Inside, your heart is far from me. Once I was in India and I entered a hotel, and they greeted me and smeared some orange powder right here on my 
my forehead. I didn't know what to do. I thought, oh, no, am I demon-possessed now? I don't know what's going on, right? It turns out it's just a symbol of the third eye, the eye of wisdom that they believe in, but it's very important to be marked, that people understand you're a religious person. You're aware of the gods. Buddhist monks, of course, we watch them walk around in orange robes and their famous haircut, right? But the reality is, is that people always have been looking for outside ways to let you know just how spiritual I am. And Jesus says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Christ's following should be evident, but it comes from the inside, not the outside. One other thing that I want to say real quickly here, because Jesus kind of sums this up in Mark chapter 7. If you look there in verse 8, he says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold the traditions of men. That's at the root of religion. Religion places tradition over God's word. Whatever we've done, however we've done it before, that's the right way to do it. It's the godly way to do it. And you say, yeah, but the Bible, I don't care what the Bible says. I want it this way. And that's what Jesus was facing with this reality. You see, men make up rules, but God's word never changes. And I want you to hear this today. Traditions aren't bad. We have traditions at Eastview Christian Church. You have traditions in your family, and as much as you can live them out over and over again and celebrate Christmas the way you always do and Thanksgiving the way you do and family get-togethers, that's fine. You know, we take communion a certain way here. We worship musically a certain way here. We program for our students or we meet the needs of our communities a certain way here. But these are not theology. They're just the way we do things to express what we believe in our faith in Jesus Christ. So there it is, religion defined by the first century Judaism in Jesus' day and the largest world religions. The truth is, they're all kind of religions that show on the outside. They place men's rules uh, and traditions over God. And so what does Jesus have to say? Here's the question again. Is Christianity different than other world religions? Before we get to that answer, though, I want to I give you two uh, quick thoughts here. Number one, believers and followers of Jesus, let's keep from making Jesus a religion. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, can I just challenge you to not be like these guys? I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but these guys asking questions are not the good guys. They're the Bible smart guys who should know all the answers, and they're asking Jesus skeptic questions. And it's because they're religious. And here's what happens, guys. Sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I can become religious and we can become an accidental Pharisee. And, uh, and so I just want you to do a check on yourself to see if you're like these Pharisees. I stole this, uh, this title. is a title of a book by Larry Osborne, uh, which is a great book. I, you can read it if you want to. Um, but here's what happens. You become an accidental Pharisee. You don't mean to, but all of a sudden you focus on other people's actions. Have you ever looked at people in your small group, people in the church, people that say they're Christian? You go, I can't believe they're doing that. You focus on their other actions. Then you judge their actions. They're not very spiritual. They're not very religious. They're not washing their hands. They're not fasting. They're not keeping the Sabbath. They're going to that movie. They're raising their kids this way. Anyone? Then I compare my actions to others. It's not so much that you're not fasting. I am fasting, which means you're here and I'm here. And it's a game that we play when religious, religious people always are comparing and judging and then saying, I'm better than you. And then finally, here's the bad news. We lose heart for other people. Because all it takes for me is to look at you and say, you're not very spiritual. You're not very holy. 
You're not righteous, and maybe you're watching online or maybe you're visiting here today, and you think that about Christianity. You think that you, that you just don't belong here because somebody's told you you're no good or your past disqualifies you, or you think that intuitively. If I ever go to church, the roof would cave in, right? You've heard that expression. Well, listen, I know the people in this room. If it was going to happen, would have happened by now. And I'm one of them. Guys, listen, when we lose heart for other people, we lose the mission that Jesus has called us to. And it's really easy when I become super religious to look at other people and go, losers. And once they're losers in God's eyes, they don't have to be anything else in my eyes. And it's really simple to happen. And it happened to the Pharisees. They probably didn't even know it. The second thing I want to challenge us to is not to be an accidental Pharisee, number one. Number two, I want to encourage you with this line, Jesus was not a rule breaker. This culture loves, it's like, yeah, Jesus, stick it to the man. He was anti-institution, anti-organization. Jesus was always just breaking rules. I like Jesus. He's a rebel. Take a deep breath. Jesus was someone who broke the rules of mankind. He broke traditions that he knew were far from his father's rules. But Jesus never broke the law of God. Jesus came to cross every T and dot every I. He said, I have come to fulfill the law of God. It would be dumb to break all the rules and say, Old Testament, dumb rules. I'm here to fulfill them. No, Jesus followed the rules of God. Because the eternal word of God was wrapped up in himself. He is the living word. So let's ask Jesus then, if he's not a rule breaker, and we sometimes become accidental Pharisees, let's ask Jesus. Jesus, isn't this thing you're doing, this Christ-following life, this Christianity, isn't it just another religion? I think he'd answer no. So I just want to spend a few moments telling you why Christianity, which is what Christ-following must be at its core, is more than a religion. Here it is. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that's very different. And we find that in his first response about fasting. Back at, at Mark chapter 2, they're saying, why aren't you fasting? All the spiritual people are doing it. All the cool kids are fasting. Why aren't you fasting? And your disciples fasting. And Jesus says, it's because we're at a wedding party. Listen, if you're not finding joy in the Christ-following life, you're doing it wrong. What is a wedding party? It's a time of fun. It's a time of dancing. It's a time of food and feasting. It's a time of hanging out with people that you love and celebrating the love that are in the people that got married. And if you're not a believer today, I want you to hear this. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, the God of Christianity is not asking you to grind through some hard life and just survive to please him, and maybe someday you'll earn his love. God already loves you, and he wants relationship with you, and that brings joy. That's why Jesus uses this terminology. He says, the bridegroom's here. Silly Pharisees. Nobody, nobody fasts during the wedding ceremony. Jesus is using an Old Testament image of what God was in the Old Testament. Over and over again in the Old Testament, God says, I'm the groom, you, Israel, my people, are the bride. I love you. I want to be with you. I want to have relationships. So when Jesus comes into the world, he comes as the groom, which indicates the most intimate of human relationships. This is a terminology that Jesus uses. 
Guys, there's no joy in religion, only duty. We were talking about this this week in the, in the, in the, um, in the preaching team meeting. It was like, what if your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or just a friend had 10 rules you had to follow to be loved? In some ways, it'd be easier because they would never get mad at you I just did, I did the 10 rules today. But that's not love, is it? Love is more natural than that. Love is two people saying, I love you. You love me back? Let's, let's do this. And let's, let's grow in this. And let's understand each other. And let's work at this. And Jesus comes to us not as a religion. He comes as the groom to say, I love you. And you know what that brings to my heart? It brings joy. And we can have joy today because that thing still continues, this bridegroom imagery. Jesus in John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I get that place done, I'm coming back to take you where I am. That is bridegroom language from the first century. Did you know that? We get engaged. We give some camels to the dad's father or the, uh, the, the groom's, the bride, the father of the bride. We give some stuff. We buy the bride. We go away. We build the house. We come back and get the bride and take her to be with us. That's what Jesus says heaven is like. And then, of course, in eternity, we are pictured sitting around the wedding feast of the Lamb. Hey, guys, Christianity, even on your bad days, even on Monday mornings that don't seem to pay or hurt a little bit, there's always joy in Christianity because Jesus loves us. He loves us, and he loves you, whoever you are today. There's no other world religion that offers loving relationship with God. That's why I think most world religions and most belief systems, by the way, the third largest uh, religion in the world is we don't believe in anything. Over a billion people today have no faith in an eternal God. But that's not joyful, is it? The world religions, they don't offer a relationship with God. John 3.16 says, whosoever, whosoever, that's me and you. Whoever would love him and believe in him, he wants to love us. Allah, the God of the Muslims, is all-powerful. He's a lot of things. He has 99 names, but one of those names is not love. That's different than Christianity. Buddha insisted he wasn't a god. He literally said, stop following me. I'm just telling you a path that I'm going on. Hindus believe that just about everything is a god. But Christianity his God first loved us so we can love him back by serving him and following his ways. Ultimately, following Jesus should be like going to a wedding and saying, break out the cake and the punch, let's go. Christ following is about joy. Christ following is about grace. This is different. Christianity is about grace. You don't earn anything because you can't earn perfection of the Father. So when Jesus comes and says the Sabbath is for man, it gives us insight. God's commands and his words, his will are for us. Other gods set themselves apart and they say, try to impress me. Maybe you will someday. And if I don't strike you dead for doing something I don't like, maybe we'll spend forever together. Did you know there's no promise of eternal life in other world religions? You just try your hardest and good luck. We'll see what happens on the judgment day. I want you to hear this again if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. God is for you. And I want to be reminded again from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith that is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, not of works, not a religion, so that no one can brag. If it was a religion, some of you would be good at it and some of us would be bad at it. 
This is about grace. And Christ following is about grace. Religion can become graceless, but not Christianity. It shouldn't be. Christ following is about being made new. Now, this is the fascinating thing. Grace doesn't mean you're not called to live a holy life or do good things or work for God. God still desires his good will and his good word and his good way for us, but it's an inside job. Religion can look good on the outside but miss the inside. Christians sometimes don't look that impressive on the outside, but God's changing our inside. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Ezekiel says, I will give, this is a promise from the Old Testament, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. There's only one God, there's only one belief system that says, I'm not not only going to love you and have grace on you, I'm going to move in. And you may not see it, you may not feel it. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes you wonder. But I can tell you this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ by faith, you are becoming what God created you to be. I'm not getting better, I'm not trying harder, I'm being made new from the inside out. And so are you. And there's one final thing that I want to say. Christ following is about freedom. All of this joy and all of this grace and all this being made new frees us from doing a bunch of works to please God. We don't have to earn God's favor. That's the biggest difference about being a Christian. I'm not enslaved to a bunch of rules from some faraway God. I'm free to know and love a close-up and personal God who has come near through Jesus and lives in me by his spirit. Guys, no other religious system claims to bring friendship with God, but Christianity does. And now here's the crazy thing. Now, now I'm free to do good stuff. Now I'm free to do good works. Don't don't mistake this this endeavor we're going to be on for the next several years. Love McLean County is about doing good works for people in need, serving and loving them in the name of Jesus. But if you do more stuff for people in McLean County that have a need, you're not impressing God. You're just simply living out what you've received. You see, now I'm free. This is the irony. I have been created, but Ephesians 2.10 says, yeah, you have grace and you have joy and you've been freed and you're being made new, but now you're freed to do stuff for me. I have a workmanship created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10, to do good works which he prepared in advance for me to do. That is what we're doing. We aren't saved by good works, but we're created for good works in his name. So we're not religious. Somebody says, are you religious? Nah, I just follow Jesus. And that changes me from the inside out. And I hope you see it. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.